Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Iodeli Speaks. I'm Iodeli Harrison, husband, father of two, 20-year educator based in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, just wanted to bring you another episode um, of this one, and it is actually of this, just this past Monday, I was invited uh, to be a part of a Men Teach speaker series by the NYC Men Teach uh Queens College director Nathaniel Smith. Um, he invited me on to speak to his group and a national audience, and I just wanted to share um, that interview with you. Um, with it, the interview is about an hour long, um, and he introduces me and my bio and, and the room. Um, but um, if you are interested, just get straight into the interview. Go ahead and jump to minute number eight of this recording, and that's when you should be able to hear that. All right. I hope you enjoy. Take care. See you at the end. Welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome, everyone. Appreciate you all taking your time out on this uh, this Monday afternoon to join NYC Men Teach for our uh, the kickoff to our Fall Men Teach Monday series. Uh, we are excited uh, about today's session. I just want to thank, um, of course, our guest, Mr. Ayodele Harrison, um, our university director, Mr. William Anders, all of the campus directors um, who are with us on the call, uh, all of our community partners, external partners within CUNY, outside of CUNY, and the higher ed community. And last but not least, we want to thank all of our students our valued uh, constituents, and those who have um, just pledged to join with us in this fight for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so thank you. I want to turn it over to um, our university director, Mr. William Anders, for uh, his introduction and welcome and any opening remarks. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Just a thumbs up in your window. You're doing all right. If you're making it through these COVID times and uh, and everything else that's going on, still being uh, uh, still being uh, still persevering through these times and uh, keeping your head up and your shoulders back and you know tackling what needs to be tackled and keeping a positive attitude, right? Uh, my name is William Anders, University Director of uh, NYC Men Teach, and um, we want to thank you all again to echo uh, Nathaniel Smith's uh, sentiments for joining us today. Uh, we realize that you could have been doing a million other things. Um, but, you know, you came to join in on the conversation, which lets us know um, that this is important to you um, and this is important work to you. Um, just to give you a very small, brief um, intention of NYC Men Teach, um, this is a program that was brought on in uh, 19, 2015 um, by Mayor um, Bill de Blasio. And the um, unapologetic goal of bringing more men of color into the classroom to be represented as teachers um, to equally reflect the student body um, that are sitting in the classroom that are made up of um, 75 to 80% students of color. Um, so we've been doing this work on the ground for about four years. Uh, we, sur we surpassed our first goal of 1,000 men in um, 2018, um, where the mayor set up a new goal for us uh, last, what was it, last uh, spring, this past spring, um, for another uh, 1,000 men of color, um, you know, to move forward with this goal. So. The beauty about this is that not only are we um, working towards another 1,000 men of uh, color into the classroom, but we're doing it through unprecedented times, right? 
Um, and we're doing it by a way um, that we know it best from a CUNY community of um, doing it through community and connecting with community partners and people who also are familiar with the work and who are dedicated and committed to the work. Um, and you all make up a part of that community. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Um, again, I'm gonna thank you all for being here. Really looking forward to hearing Mr. Harrison speak today. I am familiar with your work, Mr. Harrison. I do follow you and I appreciate your work. And uh, I'm just glad to be present with you today like everybody else. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Anders. All right, we are gonna get started. I'm just gonna read um, our guest bio. And then we are gonna kick off this exciting discussion. Idelli Harrison is senior partner of Education with Community Build Ventures, CBV. CBV is a solution-based firm committed to eliminating racial disparities by developing powerful, impactful, and racial equity-driven leaders and organizations. As senior partner, Ayodele works with diverse stakeholders to address the educational inequities our students, teachers, and staff, and communities experience every day. Ayodele is a trained civil engineer turned international math educator, professional <laughs> learning facilitator, and consultant. Ayodele has over 20 years working in the field of education, which includes 16 years serving as a classroom teacher in public and private schools in the United States and in an international school in South Africa. In 2006, as an IB Diploma Program Math study, Studies teacher, Ayodele began facilitating professional learning experiences. To date, Ayodele has engaged thousands of professional educators, organizational leaders, and community members representing institutions, including, but not limited to, ASCD, the National Association of Independent Schools, the School Reform Initiative, the Fellowship Black Male Educators for Social Justice, the Coalition of Schools Educating Boys of Color, Georgia State University, and the Atlanta Public Schools. In 2017, Ayodele co-founded a Twitter chat called BME's Talk. The purpose of this chat was to provide a digital space for Black male educators to connect and share with their perspective on the profession. As the director of BME's Talk, Ayodele has expanded BME's Talk from a Twitter chat into a suite of signature professional learning services. Ayodele supports institutions and organizations with creating and sustaining professional learning communities where Black male educators can reach their fullest potential. Ayodele Harrison is a native of Seattle, Washington. He earned a BS and MS in civil engineering from Howard University and University of California, Berkeley, respectively. Ayodele is married to Natasha and has two children, Ajani and Epitayo. Please welcome Ayodele Harrison. <laughs> Virtual claps. <laughs> Man, Nathaniel, I got to jump in right there. I know. They, What's up? One, I, you know, I appreciate you reading that off. I remember. Um, just in, in, in developing, like writing a bio, I remember I just wanted people to say just a guy who's a thinker and is trying to do right and just leaving it at that. My wife was like, you can't just write that as a bio. People just want to read and know all the things that you have. But I, I really appreciate you having me here today. And, and absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, uh, you know, even with that, man, I just, I, you know, I love your humble spirit. Um, you know, just to say, you know, listen, I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a guy just trying to do the right thing, just trying to use the gifts that God has given me 
to, uh, you know, bless my family, bless this, uh, you know, my neighborhood, my community and bless the world. So um, really a huge thanks to you and to all of our um, uh, guests who are uh, appearing in on today. So um, how did you, to start off, um, all right, uh, how did you get into education? I know that there's the bio, but, uh, <laughs> but there is a backstory. All right. Sure. So how sure. did you get into education? So, well, let me just start off with first, my, my mother was a K-5 educator for over 20 years in Seattle Public Schools. Um, and my father was an engineer and also um, uh, an ordained minister within the African Methodist Episcopal Church. So working with communities, teaching is a part of it, engineering is all a part of that. And so where it came about was um, I was in graduate school in California studying civil engineering and it was a two-year program the summer um, after my first year, I knew I didn't want to return back to the um, a firm for an internship. And so I was in a study group with some students who we were completing, uh, really scratching our way through statistics. Um, and one of my colleagues uh, in that group, a white woman said, and friends said, hey, you ever thought about teaching? You're pretty good at this you know, group. You help us facilitate. We know you don't know everything, but you're really good at this how about you come and teach with this program that I'm involved in here with Upward Bound at UC Berkeley? And I said, hmm, okay, well, teaching might be exciting. So decided to do that for a summer and also teach a um, summer fifth and sixth grade engineering projects class. I did that for a summer, struggled through it mightily, was exhausted, but my creative juices were flowing so much. As people say, I caught the bug and from there, um, I've been teaching ever since. I slowly started my way into it where I was working part-time as a teacher's assistant at a um, independent school in that area and then as a tutor and then I said you know what I think it's time for me to go into the classroom and so I did my alternative certification at um, Cal State Hayward which is now Cal State East Bay and because it's alternative I actually did one summer with them and then went right into the classroom. So since 2004, I've been a full-time classroom teacher up until 2016, or excuse me, boy, I'm just losing track of time. Yeah, 2016. Um, so that's how I got in. That's the short, I think that's the shortest I've ever told that story, but that's it. <laughs> that's all right, man, short and sweet. You, you know, it, it's, it's funny that you say, um, you know, you struggled your way through it um, in, in the beginning stages. And that's so true. I think about my own, um, kind of matriculation through, uh, through my educational journey. And I got started in education as a tutor myself. Mm -hmm. um, as, a, as an undergrad, I, I, I was a tutor for elementary school um, in the neighborhood. And, uh, and um, you know, it was, it was interesting. You know, that was kind of like my introduction into the classroom. Uh, I, I am personally not a fan of uh, teaching elementary school kids, I I I, I don't like <laughs> I, I I don't like people biting my ankles. <laughs> you know. So um, it was it was it was interesting. So the, that first summer in the mornings, I taught uh, geom high school geometry to ninth and tenth graders. Some who were taking it to strengthen it, others to prepare for the year that was coming up in geometry. In the afternoon, I had fifth and sixth graders, and going into those experiences, there was, there was not any sort of training or prep, didn't know what classroom management was, barely even had a textbook. I wrote the, the curriculum for engineering, but I knew that it was exhausting and tired, but I knew that I didn't want to be bored. 
And so I wanted to make sure it was something that was exciting and connected to what I knew, which was engineering, problem solving, thinking, using math for a purpose um, in that way and really expanding their thinking. So yeah, my sweet spot too is, uh, was when I was in the classroom between uh, eighth and 10th grade, which some people really don't like, but I found that that was like my sweet spot. I really loved working with eighth graders through 10th graders. It's just such a, a transitional time for them. So many hormones are going, you know, it's just they're, they're fully into teenage ship or teenagehood um, and just really working with them in, in that space. It, it's, it's, been, it's been exciting, um, but that's my sweet spot. Um, but I usually stay around there when, when I'm working with students. Could you talk a little bit more about um, about that? Because I, you know, as I hear you talk, uh, you know, what the the word that comes to me is social intelligence, really. Mm. Um, and I think that that's something that, as educators, we struggle with in our developmental journey um, with, uh, with with social intelligence. Uh, you know, knowing uh, when to do the right thing, how to do it, um, and how to peer into ourselves. Uh, but for others, it comes more easily. But could you talk? Uh, could you talk about uh, a little bit about that? And and I'm thinking about the movie, um, you know, where T'Challa, uh, he did exhibit social intelligence um, in a lot of ways, and how he related to his community and and uh, and and those around him. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I, I mean, I, I always I share with folks that um, so when I was an undergraduate, uh, my freshman year. I actually failed calculus twice and had to repeat it. And so for an engineer, that's like a no-no. Like you just like, those are the fundamental math classes. Um, and I felt, you know, I didn't do so well on a few others, but what I did was figure out what my learning style was, right? And how to be able to adjust things for me and my learning in that way. And I, and I felt, and I tell my kids every year when I work with them, I said, yeah, I failed calculus. Even when I was teaching calculus in high school, it's like I failed this in college. And, but what it is, is I'm prepared to work with you. And so moving into that, that social intelligence was more of like me understanding the type of teacher that I really wanted to grow into and having a few tools to be able to create relationships. But really, I just realized that um, the young people that I'm working with, for the most part, love learning, desire to learn. They just might not want to learn math. So that's okay. And so what I did was I set my goal was not to have you have fun and, and like this or love math, what I want you to do is be able to walk away after 180 days with me feeling like, okay, I have some tools in my toolbox and I'm not afraid to move forward. And if I can do that and I can move and, and as a student can move into unknown questions, questions with multiple answers, open up a page and not really know where to start or, you know, just kind of be intimidated by it. Um, I can, I can then be a successful in teaching myself and growing in that way. And so really it was just this idea of like looking at it, looking at my students as human beings and knowing that they're not always excited about being in my classroom, but it's my job to really engage them in healthy ways. And, you know, I, that might've come through my experience sitting in with my mom um, and her teaching. I used to grade papers for her and doing all those types of things, going with my dad when, you know, he would minister in front of the church and work with people. Like it's really just keeping, knowing that what I have to share isn't the end all be all, but it can be helpful. So how do I create the learning conditions so students or anybody that I'm engaging is excited about this. So, I, so that is a level of social, social intelligence um, that I had and I enjoyed. I didn't know I had it at the time. I was really just trying to be me as best as I could in that space. And as I said, 
I wanted to enjoy teaching. Like that was something that when I worked with my fifth and sixth graders who I had no idea that I had to teach them how to sit in a seat. You know, I had some, they gave me a classroom that was in an auditorium and they were climbing under the, the bleachers and all these, I didn't know what to do, but it was just really exciting to say, how do I create the learning conditions so that they are engaged with this work and can see themselves as critical thinkers, as problem solvers, as builders. Um, and so as long as I've kept that at the center, it's helped me to, to, to understand how best to engage with, with the youth that I work with. Man, you dropping some gems real early in this conversation, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you know, you, you, you said, um, you said that you got to the place where you, you knew you had to treat these students as human beings. Um, can, can, can you go into a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, you know, it's this idea that like, I know, what is it? Listen, I know that they're not excited about, not all of my students were excited about learning algebra. And I just accepted that. I know that there are other things, millions of other things that can hold their attention. And as long as I knew that I'm there as a salesman, they are my client and I'm trying to get them to buy the content that I'm selling, the experience that I'm having, that was always my, my focus was customer experience. What is it? And how can I maximize customer experience with not running, burning myself out in the process? So how can I use structures? How can I use protocols? How can I use visuals and things so that I can be as engaging and connected as possible? How can I really look at my curriculum and see, because you know, one of the other things that was important for me was that as an engineer, alternately certified, I was thinking about what do my students need to know? What skills they need to be able to have to actually become an engineer? to grow that. And so what I did was look at the curriculum in a way of, okay, so what are the minimums? Like what is 20% of the material that will give me 80% of the learning that will happen and really focused on those fundamental skills, you know? And one of the biggest things was like being able to open up a textbook, right? Or open, you know, click on, click on a screen and not, and push past this, I can't do this. Cause that was one of the first things that I faced quite consistently was, I can't do this, Mr. Harrison. This is too tough. I can't. And really, it's just this initial reaction. I'm like, well, you haven't even read the page yet, but you've seen what the pages look like and your past experience has actually told you that you can't do this. So really, my work was saying, how do I identify? How do I help grow, strengthen their confidence muscle, right? Strengthen that muscle so that when they see that, there might be a, oh my gosh, okay, I can't do this. Then what's the next phase? So it's really just seeing that, they don't have to love what I do, right? They don't, they, but I'm going to try and create a space where they actually enjoy being with me and learning. And the way that I do that is by breaking it down as fundamentally as possible. Not slow, not simply, but what are the steps? What are the thinking steps, the protocols that you need to have to be able to engage the work? And I found that that's, that was just something that was successful. Now, it, it was not easy at the very beginning. And I was actually copying a lot of teachers. Like, you know, <laughs> I think my first year, a full classroom teaching was in 2004. It was in Oakland, California at Roosevelt Middle School. Like I, I love that place. And I love my, the school leader that nurtured me for the few years that I was there. Um, and what, boy, I just lost my train of thought. Um, 
Wow, I just lost it right then. Sorry. Let, let, That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. You, you, Forgive me. No, you, you, you oh, no, sorry. sorry. This, this is what it was. It was, um, and so because I was alternative certified, I went into the classroom very quickly. You know, I, I passed the certification. I, I went into the classroom very quickly, and I was just copying things, right? And the, one of the things I copied was this whole point system. I thought I had enough skill to have a point system like, okay, you get five points for this, 10 points for this, you raise a hand, all these other type of things. I'm going to give you tickets at the end of the day. And I just realized that that wasn't, that wasn't something that I could maintain effectively. So I had to slowly start trying things to kind of figure out what was my speed in things? What, were, what would keep my interest? What could I hold to and be committed to when I'm creating the conditions for my students to learn? You know, um, you had said something um, that made me think about the difference between a forced relationship with students um, versus a forged relationship with students. Mm. And to me, the difference is, you know, when, when something is forged, as you already said, as you already explained, you know, you, you struggle through it together mm -hmm. and you allow the students to see your humanity and what you said, you know, listen, you don't have to love this subject right away, but, you know, I'm going to help you get to the point where you love it the way that you want to love it, not how I want you to love it. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of our students who are preparing to be teachers need to, they need to see that and they need to hear that um, and they need to feel that because something that's forced along the way, there's going to be a break. Something is going to break down. There's going to be lots of conflict. And we know that these things exist already in the teacher-student relationship, but it doesn't always have to be that way. That doesn't have to be, um, uh, uh, that, that, that does not have to be like our MO. Yeah, yeah. It has well, to be, some, go ahead. Well, and I, and I think one of the, 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 the key things when we talk about forging a relationship is understanding that the relationship begins before my students even enter my classroom. And it's before the school year even begins. It begins with my preparation, right? How well am I understanding learning my content, right? To be able to deliver it. How well am I creating or thinking about engaging in dynamic relationships? What does my physical environment look like? What does the classroom environment look like? How are the desks set up, right? What do they see as soon as they come in? What do they hear as soon as they come in? What do they say? What do they smell as soon as they come in? So what I want to do is say that forging that relationship is really thinking comprehensively about their, their learning environment. And so that includes having conversations. I used to hang out with kids, go and have lunch with them and so on and so forth. That was a piece of it, but it was really more of like, how well am I prepared? Do they see my board ready? Do they see the handouts ready? Or if they're not, or if there's a mistake, how well do I navigate that? Wow, that was a typo. Hey, let's go through this sheet one more time and see if we can find any other typos that are there. Have any of you guys ever made this mistake? And so it is taking this, because I, I knew that, um, like I was not perfect and I wasn't the best person at doing this job. It was really more about we're all here learning together. And the way that we can learn together is with clarity and clear communication in that space. And they can see that the environment is prepared for them. I was working with um, uh, part of my work uh, also is I'm an assistant director of a, of a residency program here in Atlanta. And I was working with a, uh, a young black male educator who was in his, his second year full-time teaching. And when I walked into his classroom, like the smell of a Glade plug-in, a really nice one, hit me, right? The colors on the room show. 
everything was set out and laid out on the table. So no matter what was happening in the hallway, when those kids, when his kids, our kids, I need to make sure that I check my language, when our kids hit the doorway, they knew there was something about this that was going to be different. And so for them, for many of them, that's a switch that they have. So relationship begins, that forging begins in our preparation and then staying consistent with it. And this is why I said that I struggle with trying to copy people, which is what educators do. We, we copy all the time. That's what, we, that's what learners do. We mimic, right? I was trying to figure out what was my authentic voice in it. And it, was, it didn't all come in one year. It was just trial and fail, trial and fail. But saying, you know what? We're not going to have this ticket system next week. But Mr. Harris, you said it's something I can't keep consistent with. And one of the things we talk about is doing consistent. I expect you to, to come here and consistently follow these. And I want to be able to hold up to that and uphold that. I can't do it using this. And so I use that type of space to create the learning environment, to forge a relationship that then said, hopefully, I believe it communicated that I'm on their side. So, you know, I hung out with them in the cafeteria. We played ball together and all those other things. But they also saw that when it came time, you crossed my threshold into the classroom, you knew it was ready to learn. It was a friendly, engaging environment, but it was definitely a learning environment that was ready for you to do your best. And that's what I communicated. So that's what, how I forged those relationships. That's beautiful, man. When, when you're talking about, when, when you talk about um, not copying or trying not to copy, it makes me think about, um, there's this part in the movie where um, Nakia is talking to T'Challa and uh, T'Challa, he finally uncovers the truth about what happened um, with, uh, you know, with, with his uncle and his father. And, um, and she says, you can't let your father's mistakes define who you are. Mm -hmm. um, you get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, can you it, it, can 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 you relate that to the realm of education and 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 as teachers um, talk about how do we get to define what kind of teacher we are to be? Sure, I think it's wow. Um, I think the first thing I understood was that there are some best practices out there. Like with anything you learn, there are basic fundamental skills that you're going to use um, to, to navigate and grow. And it was really about honing my skill in those particular areas, right? So if it is, how do we master students um, entering our classroom? How do we make sure that homework is being signed? Like what are these ways that we can ensure like these fundamental pieces? Because I think, you know, it's, it's, I know, like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, I used to sit down and want to be a savant in terms of art. And I would just pick up a pen and just, just start scratching on my paper, just grabbing colors and things like that, just trying to make art happen. And it didn't. And I was just like, why isn't it just coming? Well, then I realized that I took an art class, started drawing, learning composition, perspective. All of those things are really, really important. And in those minute, small things. Like I know one thing I really struggled with was lesson planning. Like writing lesson plans was always a struggle to me. But I began to realize that that is actually giving me a fundamental skill to understand what is all the components of the learning environment that I need to be thinking about. And then from there, once I've forced myself, because for many of us, we have to submit four weeks, six weeks, sometimes 10 week lesson plans. I really struggled anything past a week. 
right? But I just had to keep pushing myself to really think and create these longer unit plans um, and, and really be in that space where um, I'm exploring that and using those fundamentals because really at the end of the day, that's what you rely upon, right? Is what are the basics that we know have been best practices? And then once we get those down, I decided, is this best for me and my students, right? Like one of the, one of the things that I used to do every single day and, and, and I built into this was homework, right? Like I would collect homework and I would grade it and then give it back. And I realized like, that's not something that's sustainable when I have 150 students. So what I had to start thinking about, so what I did was have a homework stamp where I went around and I checked every assignment and I stamped and did all, did all of those things and realized I was working much harder investing more time in my school, in my class period, doing that work than actually going over homework. So then what I had to do after I learned that process, I had to step back and say, wait a minute, homework is for my students to strengthen their skill and what we've practiced. So I need to make sure that they are 100% prepared to be fully successful in homework before they leave my class. If not, I don't give it. I, I will figure out some way to give them something in the review that they are, they can be successful at, right? Then also what I have to do is say that, how do I help my students understand the work that they've been doing? Because I think for, for, for young teachers, veteran teachers, we all know students copy, right? Like they copy, they, they're sitting on the bus or walking in, hey, let me get your paper. I did it too when I was in school. So how do I then change homework to a process where they're actually learning from it? And I know later, and I stress this, later in my career, because of all the, 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 the conditions I was able to create, I never collected homework. I taught my students how to grade their own homework and come prepared with questions and then follow up. And then I said, hey, you grade yourself on your homework. And I give them a, a now again, I gave them a graphic organizer, a sheet to put their homework in, to give their self-assessment grade. They turn in the sheet at the end of the week to get homework credit, I would sign off on it. So there were accountability measures but what I did was put it on them to understand you're doing this homework for a reason. I also would then say, you know, traditionally in math, like it's section 6.3 and there's like 84 problems, do one through 84 every fourth one. Well, what I would start doing was saying, okay, all these problems are there. Let me try all of them to figure out all the little nuances of them early on. That's again, that mechanics, right? Just kind of figuring out what are the basics that they need to know from this. Oh, that problem is little too. We haven't gotten there just yet. So I knew every homework assignment that I gave out, I did every problem. And with every problem, then I can say, you know what? There's really five good ones that match with what I'm about to teach. So let me choose these five. And I'm gonna tell the students that I just chose five. And I want you to go home and do these five and come back ready with questions. Now, homework is less laborious and it's more of like, well, you know what, he's taking care of it. He just said five, only five problems tonight, but the five need to be written in this way. Uh, if you don't get to the end of it, I need to see a question here. You need to come ready to go. So there's all these measures of accountability that made homework a more community-based approach and also more independent learning-based approach that we can then come back and review later. So it is about like copying until you figure out what your voice is and don't be afraid to like, I. I, I messed up a lot, right? But I have to mess up to understand what was my voice within that level of instruction, right? I had to mess up to get to a point where, you know, some five, 10 years later towards the end of my career, I could say, okay, you're gonna grade your own homework because now there's no need to copy if you're grading it yourself. And you actually could give yourself 100%, but there's other mechanisms where I'm gonna learn to see, did you really do the homework or do you understand the concepts that were, 
meant for you to practice while completing your homework. I then have other mechanisms to pick that up, other measures of accountability and checking for understanding. So, yeah. So, I mean, it is just, it is copying, it's figuring out, it's, you know, what's here, what's there. But the thing is, I know that my, after I used to try and copy everything in my first few years. And by the end of my second year, I could say to people, I like that strategy that you have. I'm not ready to use it just yet because it's going to require much more for me to develop to be able to use it. So not everything I copied was ready to go. And I have to be willing to, to know that and be able to say, okay, points might not work this year. Maybe I need to use this particular mechanism or this homework strategy and just trying to figure out what my voice was um, with that slowly. That was just the learning. And, 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 and what comes to mind is, um, you know, th there is success and failure, um, you know, or what I like to term failing to succeed. Um, and we learn, right? I had to pause. I was like, wait, where's the comma? <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> we, we, we've all been there, but, but that's, but that's how we build up our muscle memory. Um, mm -hmm. that's how we build up our muscles. Um, and our, and, and as you explained, you know, you learn through failure which 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 strategies work, um, because students they they're on different levels. There's a continuum of learning. There's a continuum of learning styles, mm -hmm. and 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 we have to scaffold the learning in a way that appeals to every student. And it doesn't just come overnight. You know, we fail at it. You know, we learn hard mistakes, right? And we beat ourselves up. But as you, uh, but, but as you said, you know, you. You, you learn to overcome, you perfect the mistakes, you perfect the failure until you get to a place where, okay, homework is not a chore. Right, right. Homework is right. not a punishment. It's not a punishment. Yeah. Because why should we punish ourselves as teachers to grade 150 assignments? See, every you done said it. You done, you, I was, man, I, every night I was like giving full notes and all this stuff and, and realized that I was doing a lot of the, I was carrying the, the heavy load. And so the learning over time, my teaching career is more of like, how do I help position my students to carry the load, right? And how do I show that I'm equipping them to carry the load by the environment that I create for them to learn how to carry the load in? So, yeah. Beautiful. Listen, I, I'm, I want to pause right here and I just want to get a reaction from uh, you wonderful <laughs> folks out there. If you are enjoying this discussion, um, you know, put up an emoji or something, maybe a clap or a thumbs up or a, yeah there we go there we go good 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 I, I'm so glad you folks are enjoying it um, and I just want to uh, bounce past over the Ruben and see if we have any questions in the chat for our guest speaker today Yes, yes, yes. Um, so there's one question uh, in the chat. Uh, I, I'm actually going to paraphrase it by Philippe, uh, uh, Philippe Ayala Jr. He asked, what's your process to engage students considering their home environments? It's a question he asked earlier, and I feel like you kind of answered it, but I think it would be great to double back and uh, revisit it. Wow. Okay. So engaging students considering their home environment. Well, I think one thing that I, I learned from my uh, principal, Ms. Clancy, or uh, Ms. Stocky and Ms. Clancy, my principal and assistant principal from our first year, they said that 
assume that it is safe to, uh, how do I want to say this? Assume that nothing is being done at home or can be done. Now that's not to say that you don't assign homework, you don't, but assume that all the learning has to be 100% captured in the classroom. And she told me that day one when I walked in um, because she was like, we just don't know what happens when they leave. So your environment has to be 100% um, set on their learning happening for, I taught middle school for the 50 or 75 minutes that they were with me. I could not assume that any other learning would happen after that because what an assumption would do is I would then plan like say, oh, we'll read this additional section tonight um, and come back and then we'll have questions on it tomorrow. Well, I would expect everybody to have done all of that work by the time they came back in, but we all know that didn't happen. And so I would then get upset and feel like I lost time because I wasn't ready for them to not be there when I, it's really more of a lesson of like, okay, so how do I make sure 100% of the learning happens in the home, but then also in empowering my parents to understand what we're doing and what the learning style, how it happens and how it exists um, in the classroom. So whether parent or caregiver, whether they fully are involved or not, that was not my, my choice. I could not, I didn't have any control over it. But what I could control was how clearly I communicated with them, how often I communicate them with them, the quality of my communication with them to make sure that they were fully on board or whoever else was, was supporting my youth. Because there's someone else in our schools who if home is a challenge or if it's unknown, there's somebody else within our school community that is supporting them and it's about finding them and being able to be fully transparent with all those stakeholders that are in their lives to be able to help them. But then also um, in the class, I'm, I'm maximizing my time. You know, we talk about um, time on task and having everything be, have a purpose and a reason and using interactive modeling. modeling. I didn't know that's what interact, interactive modeling was, like showing students, you know, um, how to engage my work. One of the things that, um, I jump all over the place when I'm thinking, because there's always so much, but one of the things that, two things often irk me when, or I think are areas of growth for new teachers and, and some veteran teachers is, one is, they say, go home and study. And students don't really know how to do that. And so it's in, if I want my students to study at home or to complete homework at home, I need to create a space within my classroom for them to practice that before they go home. So I'm not assigning homework until we've practiced completing homework in the classroom so that they know what does it mean to have, you know, a designated learning space? How do I use my race? All of those other types of things. So I don't take for granted that they know how to do um, everything in that, in that space. And so that's how I really, you know, navigate it. Like I just do not assume that they know how to do everything. And so, you know, before <clears throat> in high school, sometimes the first thing people do is, you know, they pass out the syllabus. Right. And I'm just like, well, I haven't really even started any community building just yet. Mm. And so what we do is I might take, I might, I got in trouble for this sometimes. I might take a week before the syllabus goes home because the syllabus doesn't really make any sense until we've been able to spend time together. And that's not to say that we didn't learn with one another, but I didn't let that be the first thing, my first level of communication to my parents. It was really more of here's the experience. Let's set the culture. Let's set the climate in this classroom. Let's come together and set agreements um, that way and learn how we're going to be better learners. Like with my, my, um, my daughter, she's currently in first grade, right? When they, so they start every, every day off with, well, when we were in person, 
um, they would start every day off with a morning meeting, right? And this is where everybody would come to the gym uh, for K-5, sit in the gym and have announcements and things like that. Well, they didn't start with that the first day. They actually didn't start morning meeting until the second week because what they needed to do was practice helping kids get to the gym, find their seat, right? being quiet, returning back to their classroom, getting lost. How do you navigate going to the bathroom? So there was this assumption that we're going to teach you how to be in our space, how to effectively engage our morning meeting before we actually fully run the meeting. So, I mean, I think that's the work that I do in terms of figuring out how to encapsulate all the learning, all the experiences together in our space, in our classroom, um, and not leaning on home to do that. I know they can, I do give assignments, I do have a lot of different ways to engage parents, but I know that in the back of my mind, I know that the learning primarily is happening in my classroom and how do I empower parents to support that, but know that I'm gonna be prepared to work with them in my classroom. That was a long answer, but I hope you got there. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because you sort of answered some uh, of the, um, you contributed to the chat <laughs> and some oh. of the conversation that was happening in the chat and the chat sort of moved towards uh, lesson plans and how you actually plan out what the class looks like. And one student uh, mentioned the struggle behind designing lesson plans, taking into account what you're talking about. Like you actually have to know <laughs> who you're working with, right? And so another student responded that lesson plans can be tough for creative thinkers. And Idella, you mentioned yourself being a creative thinker mm -hmm. because it boils down to how, uh, your teaching is flexible and ever changing to accommodate the learners. Um, and that might lead to you straying from the plan, right? So mm -hmm. it's interesting to not start out with the syllabus, but to look at your students and create, I guess, a syllabus or a structure around who they are. Yeah, I mean, well now, so here's the thing. So my pre-planning involves a syllabus. It's important, right? The structure, all of that stuff being planned out is really important. I just don't allow that to be the first piece of paper that I'm handing to them, mm -hmm. right? because it's almost like I'm handing you a contract before you even know what I'm selling, you know? So I have to spend some time really getting you to believe in me and believe in our learning environment for you to then be able to take that to the next piece. And with lesson plans, it's taken me a while. And I think for, for me, with the structure, the templates that I was given, I, I press myself and sometimes through, uh, under the, the guise of the instructional coach that I was under my assistant principal, you gotta complete this, you gotta fill this out. So I push myself to fill out every single aspect of it. Um, but then also move from there to actually um, mapping out what I would say. You know, I used to think like, oh, I could just walk in and I'll just figure out what I need to say. Like I would literally start to script everything that I would say from every single part. Now, this is, this took, a long amount of time, but it was teaching me the fundamentals because as you can see here, I like to talk and I'll go off on the tangents. I need to figure out, okay, I need to hit this point. I need to hit that point. I need to hit that point. Also as a math instructor, um, I actually wrote out my notes exactly the way that they would see it, right? Exactly the way that I write on the board. So I would sit up there with my notebook and be writing exactly the way. So that means that I'd have to do every single homework problem. I would do every single sample problem. I would understand and try and get to a sense of like where they might have a, have a hang up at. I would then also think about what prerequisite skills that they need to have mastered to be able to excel in this one problem. And before I even enter a unit, I'm thinking about all the prerequisite skills you need to go into a unit. And so we spend actually the first part of the unit sometimes working on, I was in seventh grade, sometimes working on long division. 
or working on simple fractions or working on adding uh, integers, right? Before we actually get into a place where we now need to manipulate a uh, 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 mathematical equation like solving for y. We'd have to go back and look at, sometimes I would do uh, uh, math times table competition to get them excited, get their brain thinking about quick mental math so that I'm able to build them up and get them ready for success when we actually move into our lesson. Um, so, it, and that take, that's taking time. That was not something I did during my first, second, or third year. It came fifth or sixth, but it was more of taking the fundamentals, taking that time and knowing that, oh, this, this is what I wanted to say. Um, so I'm getting all relaxed. I'm covered up my face. Um, <laughs> here, here's what I want to say. The, the key with, a, and I just thought about this two days ago because I was talking to some teachers about this. We have to look at lesson plans. Sometimes I know when we're in school and we're, we're creating lesson plans, we think of it as a form that we're filling out. I'm just filling this out. Okay, got my students will be able to, got my standards, got my, you know, uh, uh, content or curriculum language. I got how many problems are going to do for homework, how I'm going to, my exit ticket. Like, I'm just filling it out. But the key here is our practice. We got to think of our lesson plan, or at least our template, as a tool. It is a tool to help you think very comprehensively about the learning environment that you're creating around this learning experience. And so it's saying, how do I now fill these things out and then move to a place where I see it as a tool to help me do more and bring about. But quite honestly, as a new teacher, it is just going to be a form for right now. Right? It's just that, that root, it's just that basic fundamental practice that it's going to now get you to a place where you can look at it and use it to leverage it for tools and see, oh, you know what? I got to do this here. Oh, you know what? I got to take that out. Oh man, I didn't even, I had a lesson plan and I planned all this. I only got through a quarter of it. Okay. So how do I step back and now use the fact that I only got through 25% of it to actually create more engaging learning experience that might actually help me get to 50%, 70%, 80%, so on and so forth. So that's what I would offer up to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I just have one last question um, from actually our program director, uh, assistant director, uh, Will. Uh, Mr. Hazard, how are you? I'm doing well, um, thank you. I just want to—I just wanted to circle back into something that you said. It, it really kind of hit home to a lot of the mission of the work that we do with NYC Men Teach, connecting with um, our aspiring um, um, teachers um, as they enter into the classroom. Um, one thing you said um, um, was that you wanted—you built you first and foremost—you wanted to build with your class before you got into the content. Um, can you? It's kind of a twofold question. I'm, I'm wondering one. Can you speak to, I guess, what was the, I guess, what trial or tribulation did you have to go through first to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not getting through because I need to connect with my students. Um, can, you, can you explain it if there was that aha moment for you? And then two, <laughs> um, just speak to the importance of once you learn how to do that, the difference um, of your educational experience as a teacher, um, the difference that took place in your classroom and the, the, the difference in the connection. Um, that took place in the classroom. Sure. Um, so the aha moment was, man, I just taught section three and four and we're having a quiz. We sit down on the quiz and the quiz has come back blank. And I don't have any idea what has happened. And the whole time, I remember my, my favorite, my favorite saying was, you guys get it? Yeah, Miss Harrison, we got it. And we kept rolling, right? Um, and that was my aha moment was that like students, our, our kids know how to, 
know how to play school, right? And know how to keep you going. They know how to be fully engaged in a class and not being engaged at all. They can look like they're learning and just you're, you're doing all this and realize that, okay, so we got to the quiz or whatever assessment, formative or summative assessment that we had. And, and I was just like, wait, but we, we, we did that. But then what I realized was that like, but I did that, right? I was the one that did all the example problems. I was the one that was always talking. And I realized that I needed to make sure that my students were engaging in this process and not just engaging with me. One of the strategies I love to hear, I love to speak is when a student gives an answer, right? What I immediately do is turn around into another student and say, hey, John, did you hear that? And John would be like, huh, what, can you repeat? Okay, so Sally, please, I'm just using his name. Sally, please repeat to John what your answer was, right? And then John would then, Sally would say it to John, and instead of calling on John, I'd call on Laurent and say, Laurent, can you repeat Sally's answer? So for me, I had to learn to make sure that my students were engaging each other in the learning and listening to each other. And so um, while, I, I don't want it to, I don't want it to seem like, like no content was being taught at the beginning of a school year. Like it's not just, oh, how are you doing? What's your favorite candy? All these other types of things, fill out this getting to know you for. What I would do is think about what are the fundamental skills they need to have to be successful in my classroom. One of them was they need to be able to listen to each other and give feedback to each other. So what we would do, what I would do is use content that I know that they had mastered something from a previous year or even maybe two years before then and had a discussion around that to teach them how. So the point was not the content. That was the kind of hook and they can feel successful in doing it because it's something they've seen before. But really what it was, was getting them to learn how to talk to each other and listen to each other in the classroom. Because if they're now doing that, I don't have to do all the learning and they're paying attention to each other if for no reason they know that I can call on anybody else to repeat that person's answer. So I think that that's, that's, what's, that's what is key um, for building those relationships, but then also early on starting the classes, figuring out what do they need to know to be successful. If it's an organization, then we gotta commit time to really understanding organization. You know, it's how do you set up your binder and then having things to, to, to do around that, practicing that consistently. So I think those, those are the ways that we can, we can continue to build in those. And I realized that that was my relationship building. That's how I use my time early on and throughout the remainder of the school year. Because as a new teacher, you know you're not just going to teach it once. You might as well put it in your head, you got to teach it 195 times, right? Now, we all know there's 180 days in a, in a school year. 195 means you just need to keep doing it over and over and over again and not hesitating to stop and practice those fundamental skills because that's going to then help you go forward in the way that you so desire in the learning environment you hope to create. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I feel like, um, I, I, I feel like you are T'Challa right now. <laughs> humble, humble. I, because uh, you, you are like speaking to Wakanda like an educational Wakanda right now, um, with just wisdom, insight, um, you know, your, your pitfalls, um, strategies, successful tips and tricks, how to build relationships. 
um, how to decompress, how to build up, how to set aside, how to lay out. Um, and all of these things are so important, especially for our students who are developing teachers. A lot of, of what you're saying, they won't get in the classroom. They'll get the content knowledge, but they won't get how to build your character as a teacher, how to build um, relationships as a teacher. They won't get this. So um, I know that I'm sitting right here getting a mouthful and I know I can speak to everybody <laughs> on this call right now that we are getting a mouthful. Um, I wanna uh, defer to Ruben real quick. Any other questions that we might've missed in the chat? I wanna give our students an opportunity to, to, um, to, to, to pull everything out of Mr. Harrison before he leaves today. <laughs> Well, first of all, we got to understand you're not going to get everything. I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to come back and, and, and speak on this because um, that, that's another thing is that we, I think for me in professional learning um, opportunities like this, if I can just take one thing away, I know that it was time well spent. And so I would say to students there, don't try and grab everything, right? Hold on to one thing and say, I think I can do that. I think that's within my wheelhouse to practice um, and bring into fruition. Just take it one skill, one strategy, one thought, one quote, whatever that might be, one word at a time and grow from there. Um, but yeah, any other questions? Let's, let's roll. Um, yeah, so this is uh, sort of like a question statement, but Alex, uh, who's been very active in the chat, thank you, um, said a syllabus is a contract that sets expectations and standards, but how can you expect students to agree to any of that before you have their respect? Such a great point. And I feel like you sort of answered that with your, with your last. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Well, and, 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 I, and I, I said this before, it's, it's respect isn't just when I first see them, it's my preparation, right? It's, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the respect that I show myself in preparing and then the profession as, as well. You know, like I, I will say that I spent many long hours thinking through these process, but I knew that if I get it right, the experience was going to be right and I would get the aha moments and they would do, you know, um, and that they would see themselves as creative thinkers because many of my students would enter my classroom and say, I suck at math. And then I talk to their parents and be like, well, I wasn't that good at math either. So, you know, math teachers, you know, I, I guess give me a thumbs up if you're a math teacher out there, like anybody else studying, studying to teach math or science or STEM, anything out there? Like, oh boy, it's a little silent. <laughs> um, a few people, Gabby, uh, Ian, I think if I pronounce that correctly, um, like we're up against this, this notion because it's sometimes publicly accepted that you don't have to be good at math. So I'm already facing that, right? And so my job is to figure out how to get you to engage with mathematics. And what I realized was that if you like and enjoy the environment you are a part of, you will learn because you want to be an active member within that environment. So my goal is to create a space where you're like, I got to be an active member in this. And that then has to be in a very culturally responsive, connected way, understanding. And I think not just understanding, but accepting that students don't necessarily want to be with you. Okay, so how do I make this the most pleasant, affirming, authentic experience they can, where they say, I'm fighting to get to this class because I'm learning for, I might be learning for the first time and engaging in a way I've never have around mathematics. And I feel like I can, I can, I can, I can excel in this space. Yo, 
I, I, I feel like I just want to end it on yo. All right. <laughs> this conversation has been so um, enlightening, so engaging, so riveting, um, so empowering. And, uh, and, and I feel like we can stay here all day, but I do want to respect um, people's time. Uh, they've given us so much energy this last hour. Um, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, to you, Mr. Harrison. Let's clap for him. Virtual clap. Let's see those emojis thank go you. up. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you have been just a true delight uh, for our very first Men Teach Mondays um, series session today. Oh, this is the first one? For, for the fall semester, this is our very first one. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, I hope the bars were set high. Whoever is next, you better bring it for these young uh-huh. folks. I'm uh-huh. just, you know, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hoping you believe that the bar was set high. And it sounds like, you know, from that, like, I'm, I'm excited. I didn't know that this was the first one, um, but thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we at New York City Men Teach, we are only concerned about connecting with good people. Um, and you are definitely good people. We engraft you into our family. And, um, and yes, the other Men Teach Monday sessions um, will be just as lit. Um, but we are just so grateful uh, to have you to be our special guest on today. I'm going to defer to Mr. Anders for any last uh, words before we finally close it out. And if Mr. Anders, if I could share some opportunities that are coming up, um, if you don't mind, you, can, you know, say no. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Gotcha. So in, so in the chat, like I, I am, um, I'm leading a workshop coming up uh, this Saturday and then also again on October 3rd called Data Driven Virtual Instruction for Black Boys, where I've actually designed a roadmap to help people better understand how to create the conditions virtually that will bring about the learning they so desire. So I'm going to drop that um, into the chat um, there. That's an upcoming workshop for, for people to see. It is a live workshop. So I'm going to be live leading this thing. It's not a pre-recorded session and you're going to come to work. I'm going to give you a, a roadmap for virtual instruction. It's, it's appropriate for those who are new to teaching, in pre-service, in service, have multiple years because we know that there's really good best practices across that we'll share. Then also uh, my Twitter, Instagram, and podcast are there. Please follow me, engage, you know, connect with me. That's, that's what we do. Thank you very much. Listen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, welcome to the NYC Men Teach family. Uh, we are looking forward to having you back and we, we will have you in the mix. So um, everybody who's on this, uh, this call, we, we will see this gentleman in the mix of NYC Men Teach again. Um, one thing we understand about education is that nobody steps into a classroom or nobody steps into a school building knowing everything. Um, and the more you build community, the more you learn and the more you understand the people in the community that surround you. So, um, so thank you for bringing in your expertise and bringing in your understanding and planting the seeds that you planted today. Um, and the only thing that will happen from this point is that we will grow, right? So, um, so, we're, so we're looking forward to having you around. Um, and that's all I really want to say. I just wanted to thank you for just being present today and just showing up and, and showing out. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Anders. Um, so I will put, um, so Mr. Harrison has already put in the chat his info and the links to all the wonderful things that he has shared. I will also email that out. I'll share that with the other campus directors so that way we can get um, a good number of folks um, under the umbrella of Mr. Harrison um, as well. 
also keep in mind um, on your radar, our next Men Teach Monday will be Monday, October 5th, same time, same place, 12 p.m. on Zoom. So look out for a flyer and information um, to be sent out soon. Thank you again, Mr. Harrison, for your expertise, your wisdom, your engagement. Thank you, Mr. Anders. Thank you to all the uh, campus directors, all of our external and community partners. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the students for joining us in today's session. And with that, we wanna say peace out. Enjoy the rest of your day. Well done, Nathaniel. Thank you, brother Matt. Yes, yes, great job. <laughs> thank you, brother Ruben. Well done, well done. Adela, yo, you dropped some insane gems. Oh my god! Crazy, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, it, you. know, sometimes I, 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 yeah, I've been doing this so long um, that it's in my work now. I, I very rarely get a chance to talk about teaching <laughs> because, as a school improvement strategist, we work on the school level and the district level that it's always a joy to get back to actually thinking like there's some thoughts I haven't shared in years because no one's really asked me like what were your first few years about you know like and so on and so forth and so it's uh thank you for giving me a platform and opportunity to to share um it's exciting <laughs> it was awesome thank you you're welcome okay folks until next right, time fellas, have a good one. enjoy the rest of your day Yes. Harrison, we'll connect on the back end, but um, but truly, I, I my heart is full, man. Thank you, thank you. And you guys keep, I mean, you guys keep up the the work. I mean, this is having. I know how valuable it is to have communities, right? To where you feel like there's some connection, a sense of belonging, um, and a sense of intention about collectively moving into this profession. Because I think it's a very dynamic um, profession that allows a lot of opportunities to travel the world and so much that it that can start in our classrooms but then build to so many other places so i thank you for your commitment um, and dedication to recruiting supporting growing nurturing loving being firm holding accountable our men as they begin to enter the classroom so thank you so much all right well, lessons to you enjoy the rest of your day with your family <laughs> and uh, we'll talk soon all right take care All right, and that concludes this episode of Iodelli Speaks. Always remember, you can reach out and connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Iodelli underscore H-A-R 78. You can also find me on LinkedIn, um, also on Facebook, um, and also go to, go to YouTube. Find me on YouTube. We have a Black Male Educator uh, podcast called The Rewind there that you can actually see if you just click on my YouTube page, Iodelli Harrison, and just hear and see um, Black Male Educators from around the country um, coming together and just talking about navigating um, our profession and navigating our black male experience. All right. Until the next episode. Take care. Peace. Thank you.